What is up, people, and thank you guys for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. we got a great show for you guys today. Of course, we're going to break down the whole Jimmy Butler controversy that really swept the NBA and the news cycle over the last 24 hours. A lot of drama from yesterday's practice. We were recording the show on Thursday. Wednesday's practice was um, quite a spectacle, it seems. And we know that because Jimmy Butler confirmed what happened. Uh, it's one of the craziest sports stories we have going right now, and I can't wait to talk about that. We'll also talk about the Phoenix Suns because they kind of were the talk of the NBA before this Butler fiasco. We had um, Ryan McDonough, the, the GM for that team. He was fired uh, in a kind of a weird, abrupt way. It's rare you see GM get fired before the start of a season. Um, we'll have uh, our good friend Dave King over from Bright Side of the Sun to discuss that firing and then we got plenty of other stuff in regards to uh we got of course the major league baseball championship series happening we got uh our new segment back flames and trash who's flames who's trash we'll have that back this week we got a a full slate of football games college and nfl to pick and of course we wrap the show with kendall's court that brings me to my co-host kendall stewart kendall i'm jack to do this show it should be a good one what do you got for us this week yeah i mean last week i uh I was supposed to give you guys uh, my update on the college basketball uh, corruption scandal, but then I realized, well, we were only two days into a, a long trial, so I figured I'd wait a week so that we had a lot more details, and sure enough, we have had plenty of developments that have arised uh, that have ri- arisen since that uh, since that time period, so... Um, I'm going to give you all the latest scoop on what's happening, who's being paid by who, uh, what shoe company is. Allegedly. You got to throw on the allegedly. allegedly. Well, look, at this point, this stuff is government document, documented stuff. This stuff is. Look, there's no one convicted, so we can't. You still got stuff drop is under oath. There. there are wiretaps and recording. Regardless, I'm going to give you uh, all the latest scoop on all the dirt and college basketball because I know you guys love that stuff. Yeah, that's, that should be a, a great place um, at the end of the show. So make sure you guys don't miss that. But let's start the show with the Jimmy Butler stuff. Kendall, I don't even know where to begin with this. So, of course, you guys probably know Jimmy Butler for a long time has wanted out uh, from Minnesota. There have been really what's felt like probably at least week-long negotiations between the T-Wolves and the Heat to try to work out a trade to send Jimmy Butler over to Miami those talks appeared to break down during this entire time while this there's been this negotiation and Jimmy made his request to be traded about two weeks ago. Jimmy has not been with the team, or at least he hasn't played or practiced with the team during this entire situation. There have been talks about friction between ownership and uh, Thibodeau in the front office. Thibodeau apparently wanted Jimmy Butler around. The owner uh, did not want him around and wanted to get him traded, while uh, Tibbs is actually in favor of keeping him on the roster at least until the trade deadline. So there was already this was already a chaotic situation, and then they pretty much put gasoline on that when Jimmy Butler made his return to practice on Wednesday. And this practice was uh, described by many who were in attendance as spirited, as extremely heated and emotional. Um, according to Adrian Wojnowski and several other NBA reporters, uh, Butler was uh, intensely going after several of his teammates uh, on the court and 
you know, through the, you know, of course, practice and also verbally uh, are talking trash to a lot of these players, including uh, star center Carl uh, Anthony Towns and uh, forward Andrew Wiggins. At one point in practice, uh, he apparently yelled over to GM Scott Layden, who, by the way, Kendall, I forgot he was, I didn't know he was even part of this whole situation. This whole thing being a circus now makes a lot more sense that Scott Layden is somewhere pulling some of the strings. Apparently, during this practice, Kendall, he yelled at Scott Layden, quote, you effing need me, Scott. You can't win without me. This uh, really became a very awkward situation, it seems like, for everybody involved. And then... To make matters worse, Kendall, uh, Rachel Nichols, I guess, was in Minnesota or wherever they were practicing. I, I don't know how, unless she took a red eye. I don't know how she got there so fast. But all of a sudden, when I thought this story was kind of done, Jimmy Butler is doing an interview on camera in front of Rachel Nichols in which he pretty much lays out that pretty much everything that was put out there was true, except for one thing. And this was his comments about what happened with Cat and Wiggins. He says that he did not go after those two guys verbally, but instead that it was one of them, which he later revealed to be Carl Anthony Towns, was the one going after his teammates. And throughout this practice, Kendall, this was a scrimmage of the starting lineup minus Jimmy Butler versus Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys basically who are third-string guys, guys who won't make the team. They apparently were beating the brakes off of the starting lineup for the Minnesota Timber Timberwolves. During this practice, apparently Carl Anthony Towns, according to Butler, told everybody, told told the team that, quote, anybody can get it. And then Butler went at him saying, how come every time you you get the ball in the post when, I, when I'm switched on to you, you throw the ball away or you, you kick it out. You don't go and attack me. He also said in this interview that uh, that it's time for everyone to be honest and that there are guys on the team that aren't all about winning and that he's all about winning. And that's why this is all call it causing friction and then when asked about if he's you know this is being too much he said quote am i being tough on him in regards to carly towns uh yeah that's who i am i'm not the most talented player on the team who's the most play- t- talented player on the team cat who's the most god gifted player on the team wigs who plays the hardest me <laughs> i play hard i put my body on the line every day in practice every day in games that's my passion everybody leads in different ways that's how I show I'm here for you. So, I, again, I really don't know where to even begin with any of this stuff. The T-Wolves, who are now less than a week away from the start of the regular season, um, who are coached by a coach who recently talked, complained about the idea that uh, because of the shortened training camp and the lack of practice days, that it will be tough to get in enough practice time and, a month and get in enough chemistry to get ready for the start of the regular season, they abruptly decided to not hold practice today. <laughs> so uh, they did not hold practice today. They held no media availability, um, letting this story continue to, to fester. There was supposedly a team meeting that was called by Jimmy Butler where grievances were aired. It's unclear if that means things are better. But uh, when asked later, or asked yesterday about the situation and and whether or not things were resolved, Butler told Rachel Nichols, quote, it's not fixed. Let's be honest. And asked if it could be him. He said, it could be. Do I think so? No. <laughs> Just go wherever you want, Kendall. I, I don't know what to say. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a very bizarre situation. Um, if a guy's going to be away from the team, you gotta he's got to be away from the team. You know, I, I don't know why. I'm assuming he's not going to play in any games. I mean, first of all, I'm assuming by the time some people hear this, he probably won't be on the team. You know, I think this... Well, this everybody's be, heard it already, and he's still on the team. Yeah, no, I mean, by the time people hear this podcast. Oh. Like, right. You know, some people may listen to this, you know, Saturday, and he might be traded. But, right. um, like, because the season starts on Tuesday, and for me to think that Jimmy Butler will... Is he going to be suiting up for this team if he's still on the roster by then? Because that could be a disaster. Um, there's, like you said, there's so many layers to this story that apparently happened that are bizarre. The fact that he just pulled up with like himself and just got the third stringers, got Luol Dang, got uh, <laughs> a bunch of D League guys, and was like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna go against the ones and just destroy those guys." Apparently. Um, is probably I think the best part of the story. Uh, I don't the fact that he go he, honestly everything that he said or everything that he said in that Rachel Nichols interview, it kind of echoes everything that we've heard over the last calendar year about the Minnesota Timberwolves situation and everything we've heard behind the scenes and through sources and leaks <laughs> is that Jimmy Butler does not respect either Towns and or Wiggins. And that he thinks those guys are soft or that he doesn't mesh with those guys. And he's now just said it in public. He's like, I don't really care at this point. I don't need my agent to go back. I don't need my agent to go behind closed doors and tell people and tell reporters this is how Jimmy Butler uh, reportedly feels about Carl C. Towns. Now he's just like, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, again, the fact that he I, – I do have respect for Jimmy Butler that he didn't uh, – he didn't hide behind those reports. He didn't say, all right, I, I, he didn't hide behind his trade demand and distance himself from the team like Kawhi Leonard did. He stood up, looked those guys in the face, played them, and played them in, in basketball, and then apparently looked good. So I'll give him that credit. I don't know what this does for his trade value because there is there there's, there's a sentiment out there that, I mean, Butler can't really get you that much at this point. Um, given he's on a one-year deal, given he has a pretty short list of teams, and all the deals that I've heard being put out there have been really, really one-sided in the favor of the team, that whatever team gets Jimmy Butler. Um, I mean, the fact that, honestly, the fact that the reports are that the Rockets turned down P.J. Tucker and <laughs> Eric Gordon for Jimmy Butler is beyond me. Yeah, apparently adding uh, P.J. Tucker to the trade was a deal breaker. Well, the deal breaker. And I, <laughs> I, I don't. I feel like Jimmy Butler can replicate ninety percent of what P.J. Tucker does defensively, especially considering he won't need to do nearly as much offensively. <laughs> He's playing with James Harden and Chris Paul. So the fact that you don't want, I don't know. Regardless. Uh, I, I do agree that from a culture standpoint, P.J. Tucker was very important for him. I understand that. But from a basketball perspective, that stuff can be replicated. Jimmy Butler can replicate both what Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker can do. Um, the Miami thing, I 100% understand if if Minnesota asked 
for Bam Adebayo and Josh Richardson, I wouldn't do that if I were Miami. Um, I give him maybe Josh Richardson. I wouldn't say maybe. I would give him Josh Richardson and a pick. I, I don't think I'd give him Bam Adebayo, especially. I mean, his last preseason game he had twenty six points. But overall, though, those trade offers are not going to go down after this incident because. Now I think teams feel like this thing is imploding in front of Minnesota's faces. They literally can't keep him or else they're going to have a dead asset just withering away for a year. They have to trade him as soon as possible to the highest bidder. And I I haven't seen a team at the moment that stepped up and been like, we'll take him because teams don't want to give up their, their assets. I mean, they, Minnesota offered Jimmy Butler to Milwaukee for Chris Middleton, who's also a free agent next year. And, Milwaukee's like, nah, we're good. So what makes you think that there's no way Minnesota's getting equal value at this point? They'd be lucky to get pennies on the dollar at this, at this point for Jimmy Butler. We talked about it a lot in sports, Kendall, when it comes to trade requests and what happens when teams don't acquiesce to trade requests. And the simple thing is, well, they can just make life miserable for the franchise that they're in. But then the question always becomes, yeah, but they, will they really do that? Do they really want to hit to their reputation do they really want to be the bad guy a lot of times they don't well kendall this is what happens when an athlete who wants out decides to make life miserable for his current organization that's what jimmy butler is doing it's something that a lot of athletes who talk to talk about wanting to be traded never really do or maybe just teams actually believe that they will do it and then they just decide to trade them instead of making this whole thing awkward uh the t-wolves of course, when you consider, again, Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau are pulling the strings, did not get, I guess, the memo of what would happen if Jimmy Butler was somehow brought back into the locker room and brought back around the team. And this is what happens when uh, uh, when that happens. It becomes a combustible situation. You said, Kendall, that your favorite part of this was Jimmy and the and, and the scrubs on, on, the, on, the, on the bench for the T-Wolves smacking around the starters. I think the, my favorite part of this story is still the audacity of Jimmy Butler to tell the GM that you, quote, effing need me while also demanding a trade. That might, yes. like, that, like, the, <laughs> I, the audacity to say that to the GM that you also trying to tell, <laughs> that also you're demanding you to get the hell out of there. Like, there's a, that's a level of I don't give an F that I don't think I've seen in a long time. The last, you know the last time I saw someone do something like this? I'm trying to think of when was the last time an athlete really did make life miserable for where they were. Remember when Brandon Marshall was like dropping passes in practice with the Denver Broncos? He was like purposely yeah. dropping passes, like kicking. He was like punting the football. Like he was doing crazy stuff. Now, Brandon Marshall has talked about dealing with mental health issues. So perhaps that had something to do with that. So I don't want to make light and Andrew Bynum of that situation. Andrew Bynum had some, yeah, he had some, was that in Philly when he was wilding out? Well, the Cleveland, when, remember, he was, like, taking crazy shots in practice. Philly, he was just a a scrub that didn't want to play. But (laughs) uh, in Cleveland, he was, like, you know, shooting threes and stuff in practice and just making Mike Brown's life miserable as a coach. To the point where I believe they cut him. This is, this kind of thing does not happen very often. And it uh, never happens with superstar players. Never. Yeah. I, I, I've never seen this happen with a superstar player. I mean, like, and not in the NBA game. Brandon Marshall was a star when that thing was happening with the Denver Broncos. But 
uh, I've never seen anything like this um, in the NBA. In the NBA, I know I do remember like I want to say someone got traded to the. I remember one time Gary Payton didn't want didn't want to report to Milwaukee when he got traded, but he ended up going there. So and then he played. Alonzo so, Mourning never reported to Toronto. That happened too. But again, it, none of those guys ever. Morning got never got there, and then Peyton ended up acquiescing to the trade, and then played the rest of the season. So I mean, I, I don't know what to say about this. Um, Jimmy Butler, this is going to go down as an iconic story in sports history. Um, I kind of feel like this is part. I don't know. Rachel's in a tough spot there, and I gotta give Rachel props. She did. A, I mean, to get that interview and to get Jimmy to have to get those quotes. I mean, that's that's top notch reporting. There's one thing I wish Rachel would have done though, and maybe she couldn't do it because of the situation. But for a guy who who painted his entire reasoning for why he was acting the way he was acting was because he wanted to win. Why the question didn't become, well, then why are the teams that you are reportedly interested in joining all dumpster fires? All dumpster fires in big markets. Right. Like, I think that that's going to be something that he eventually is going to have to answer for if he goes to one of those teams. I hope someone would ask the question. Because if you tell me I want to win and then you want to go to the Clippers, those two things will never add up. They will never add up. They added up for only one player in NBA history. It was Chris Paul. <laughs> the only player in NBA history where wanting to go to the Clippers, and he didn't want to go to the Clippers, he wanted to go to the Lakers, but he settled on the Clippers. That was the only top player in NBA history where going to the Clippers actually did mean I actually wanted to win. No other NBA player in NBA history going to the Clippers meant you wanted to win. So for Jimmy to paint his whole persona and his whole attitude around I'm just doing this because I want to win and I want to be around guys who want to win and guys on this team are suckers who don't want to win you can't then tell me you want to play for the Knicks, Nets, and Clippers that that does not add up unless you're telling me someone else is coming with you that we don't know about so those two things those, that's the one thing out of all of this that I wish would have got clarified in that, in that interview because he answered everything else he, if you ask the question he, he may have answered it because he was willing to answer anything. The only thing yeah. he didn't want to answer was who he thinks on the team doesn't want to win. But he kind of already answered that because he kept mentioning Cat and Andrew Wiggins. So I think you got to know who he's talking about. Yeah, and another guy that looks awful in all of this is Tom Thibodeau because she asks him early in the interview, like, right after the season, did you make your, your point – could you make your feelings known? She had to dance around it because he couldn't make it clear that he wanted to trade, but uh, or he couldn't express that he wanted to trade in public. But did you make your feelings known to Tom Thibodeau after the season, after the playoffs? He said four days after game whatever four, I guess it was, or game five against Houston that or game four against Houston, they he told Tom Thibodeau quote how he felt, whatever that meant. I'm assuming he told them they wanted to trade. And and remember, I've been saying all summer why well, I haven't been traded yep. Jimmy Butler. And this is before I knew that Jimmy Butler even wanted to trade. Exactly. I, it was very obvious through reporting that he didn't want to be there, that he wanted to go other places. I mean, I'm also I also thought that Boston should have traded Kyrie Irving, so maybe that I would have jumped the gun. 
But I thought the Jimmy Butler situation was way less salvageable than Kyrie Irving. I mean, Boston is a legitimate championship contender. Minnesota is in the West, and they're luckily they're, they'd be lucky if they were a top six team in the West with no chance of beating Golden State or Houston. So I kept saying, why haven't you traded Jimmy Butler? If I would have known that Jimmy Butler demanded a trade, then the fact that Tom Thibodeau still has a job is beyond me. In fact, I almost have to wonder if Tom Thibodeau wants to be fired at this point. And that's been some of the, the, the sentiment that's out there, that Tom Thibodeau is kind of trying to get fired at this point. It's just bizarre how you can go a whole offseason with your best player on a one-year deal saying, I want out, and not, and I understand he likes Jimmy Butler, but not really act on it. And it also was very bizarre at one point when Carl Towns wouldn't sign his extension. I mean, he waited very long to sign a max extension. Jevin Booker signed his extension first chance he got. <laughs> he signed that joint the day yesterday. <laughs> he he was like, saying, "Yo, how? Where's a pen? Can you can you, Mr. Can, you can you send in a text?" <laughs> Devin Booker, we were talking Devin Booker, who's also Mister. I'm never missing the playoffs again. You know, <laughs> as I was saying, it's almost like a threat <laughs> to to the Phoenix Suns organization. They all when they put in they, when they put a five year. Max extension in his, in his face. He, he yeah, he's all, he's all like, 150, he's all 150 million. He changed it to him real quick. Carl Anthony Towns, it took a long time this offseason for him to finally sign his extension last week. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, that this happened right after the Jimmy Butler trade extension or trade demand became public and it put extreme pressure on Thibodeau to finally trade uh, Butler. But at this point, you could have, you know what you could have gotten for Jimmy Butler? Uh, Right after July. the season, yeah, Kawhi Leonard, yeah, yeah, you probably could have got yeah, Kawhi Leonard. They could have got Kawhi Leonard. I agree. And now we're talking about. Well, hopefully, they can get Josh Richardson <laughs> and a first round pick. I mean, this is an embarrassing. This is an embarrassing <laughs> uh, way of going about this. If you're Tom Thibodeau and you're Scott Layden, but I mean, at this point, there's nothing you can do. You have to scrap for whatever you can get. And I feel I'm gonna say. I feel awful for Minnesota fans, but I mean, this was a team that gave up a lot of assets for a guy that they thought could make them a contender, and he's now going to be gone in a, probably a couple of days. The clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah <laughs> is he gone now? He could be gone now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he probably is gone now. We're going to keep refreshing that Twitter feed, leave but, that Woj bomb, and uh, they're going to get. Nothing back, and that's 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 really upsetting if you're a Minnesota fan. My last take on this before we move on, Kendall, is Kendall. You know how I feel. I feel I hate I hate when perception meets reality. I always like to believe that there's more to things than the eye sees from a distance. I think as fans, I think as media people, we tend to just like create storylines and then just move on when there's always more to the more to the story than what's on the surface. That brings me to Carl Anthony Towns. We know what the MO has been on him really since last season. You, I would say, being fair, have been on this for two years. But I think last season, the majority, or at least a lot more people were on it, that this dude is a paper tiger. Um, that he's, he's he's a guy who puts up big numbers with big big potential, big talent, but doesn't really have that dog, doesn't really impact wins. That's something I've always thought. I've always thought it's been unfair. 
But when you hear this story and you hear Carthy Towns is yelling at freaking third stringers, anybody could get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when when the last time I saw this dude play basketball, he looked like he was shook against Clint Capella. You yelling at third stringers, anybody could get it. it was wrong, you haven't man. accomplished anything in the league, dog. He hasn't accomplished one thing. You embarrass yourself in the postseason, and now you're trying to bully third stringers. You can't even score on a six foot seven shooting guard. Look, I, I I've tried to defend Cat Man, but that that was the we that was a perception meeting reality. The perception is he's a paper tiger. When I hear he's young at third stringers, you can get you all can get it. Whoever wants it can get it. At third string guys that aren't gonna be on the team, you couldn't you couldn't get double figures playing against Nene. Man, you lucky. He's lucky that this was the lead story and not the flames and trash segment because he would be trash easily for that ridiculous line. I know it's hoops. We always talking trash, but there's gotta be some level of of self awareness. Yeah, self awareness. Than to say that kind of foolishness based on what the perception is of your career so far and what you did when the games mattered recently. I wish Kim Capella would have got it. I could have got an actually good series to watch. They he didn't Quinn Capella didn't get anything. I wish Nene could have got something. Maybe I wouldn't have been snoozing in those late night games when they were playing for their playoff lives last April. And he was going over. He's shooting fade, shooting eighteen foot fadeaways over James Harden. Talking about anybody can get it. Come on, man. I'm sorry. I, I I haven't gone on a rant in a long time, but I saw that and I'm like, because you know it's true. <laughs> that's yeah. why. That's why it's. That's why it's so ridiculous to me, because you know it's true. Because that's his mo, and I I said I defended him from that. Pretty much his entire career up until that playoff series. You cannot be the dude after what happened last year with the reputation you created to be yelling at third stringers. Anybody can get it. You cannot be that dude. I'm sorry. With that being said, Kendall, um, let's talk about Ryan McDonough, the GM of the Suns. He was fired this week uh, out of nowhere, it seems like. Um, it's unclear what prompted the, prompted the firing, though you could say it's pretty much been his ineptitude as a GM for the last four or five years. So uh, earlier in the day, kind of we spoke with Dave King from uh, from the Suns, the SB Nation Suns blog, Bright Side of the Sun, to talk about uh, why this move happened. And uh, Dave, I thought this was a, a great opportunity to talk to you. Uh, we talked to you a, a couple of months ago um, when the Suns got the number one pick. Now the Suns. They've kind of been overshadowed by some of this Jimmy Butler stuff, but the previous big story in the NBA was the uh, abrupt firing of their GM, Ryan McDonough. Well, what is the feeling around uh, the team and, and why this happened so 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 abruptly? Yeah, we're all not quite sure why Monday, October 8th. <clears throat> um, he could have been fired any time in the last two or three years. He really had a very sketchy uh, record, and, and we had a guy – do some research on it, and there hadn't been a GM who lasted longer than McDonough uh, in the last 15, 20 years. 
who had never made the playoffs. Mm. And so um, it's not unusual for an NBA owner to say, nah, I, I need to go find somebody who can get my team in the playoffs. So, the, but the timing itself was unusual because it was nine days before the season. And after what had been generally uh, regarded one of the better off seasons in the league in terms of from where you're going, coming from what you've added, adding DeAndre Ayton, adding Mikkel Bridges in the draft, and then adding uh, Trevor Ariza. And even even the swap of Ryan Anderson, at least it was a, a net neutral for a guy who fits better on the team. So it may end up being a net positive. Um, so he was generally considered having had a pretty good offseason and then to get fired nine days before uh, the season starts seems a little sketchy. So we're we're speculating that over the weekend, you know, because the Suns, the only thing the Suns really haven't done is acquire a starting caliber point guard, right. at least to get this season off and running. And after the first three preseason games last Wednesday, it was really obvious that the Suns' options at point guard are even worse than we had assumed. <laughs> so I think that may that may have played a part. It may be that you know certain trade talks broke down that uh, the owner didn't think should have broken down. I don't know, but it sure seems like he's doing his old mo. The, he being uh, the owner Robert Sarver, right. doing his old mo: fire the guy he doesn't like, promote the guy who has no experience and doesn't know enough not to like him yet and not to argue with him yet. And there you go, Kendall. Yeah, what's interesting, I've had that running theory this entire week that it had to have been that... See, my theory was that maybe Sarver gave him a like a deadline of, I need a point guard by this point. And like you said, he hasn't been able to fill that role. Um, in terms of, you mentioned uh, James Jones, who seems to be the leading candidate uh, to get the job. <clears throat> he's come in and apparently he's wiped away all of McDonough's staff. Um, what's your sense, if you have any, of what James Jones's philosophy will be as a uh, as an executive? Will Obviously, he has a lot of ties with the Players Association. What is his strength and what are his core values that differ from Ryan McDonough's approach? Well, the promise is there. And there's a lot of players and uh, other league people who are excited for James Jones because he thinks he has, they think he has the right temperament and the right outlook on being able to build a team. So one thing Ryan McDonough had zero ability to do, and he proved it over five years, is to actively, purposefully build a team. The only team that actually won any games for McDonough was a team he, McDonough thought was going to be um, a high lottery uh, pick right. team he, that were predicted in 2013-14 to win 15 to 18 games. That's the only that's the roster, the only one that actually won games. And then when he tried to start filling winning players around that, that's when it got even worse. So McDonough was terrible at building teams. Uh, so the idea is that James Jones, having been in seven straight finals with LeBron James, knows what to do to build a team that wins games. Uh, so, uh, so that's the idea. Whether he can actually get it done, we don't know. We know in tandem, the two of them of the past year, after James Jones sat around and watched for a little while, um, uh, the the word was that James Jones had a lot of a lot of input and a lot of positive input on the hiring of Igor Kokoshkov, mm-hmm. the choosing of DeAndre Ayton, the the signing of Trevor Ariza um, was actually a Kokoshkov request, but uh, James Jones. Who knows what kind of role he played in that? 
Uh, so the idea being that James Jones knows better how to build a team, but whether he can actually do anything with other GMs is completely unknown. Now, I want to I want to uh, zero in a little bit on Sarver because I, we talk about Jones being uh, very much in position to maybe take on this role full time. There's also conversations about whether or not Sarver really can attract any other high level front office executive. You talk about how now, he's never even yeah. hired. He's never hired anyone with experience in the front office or in the experience doing the job he hired them for in the front office or the coaching staff. Do you feel like this is this move in firing McDonough and going to Jones potentially uh, speaks more to Sarver's uh, ineptitude rather than really anything else? Because Jones, while uh, people are excited about what he can do, with that team is obviously very inexperienced. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's not necessarily an ineptitude. It's not like Robert Sarver goes out and tries to sign or hire uh, front office executives with a lot of experience. Sarver really wants the young guys because they'll they'll take less money. They're hungry. They say yes to him instead of no. They don't come in and say you're going to have to get the heck out of my office and uh, not come near me. They're they're going to say whatever you want. What, let's talk, sir, Robert. Let's talk. That's who he wants. That's who he wants to hire. He continues to have a really clear um, business mentality in terms of he thinks everyone's replaceable. When you fire a vice president in a company, it's really easy to find more vice president, more people and promote from within and all that. That's easy. But replacing a talent evaluator, replacing a head coach in the NBA, there's only 30 of those each in the entire world. Uh, so that's not as easy. And he just doesn't he doesn't see that uh, that that disparity. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit and focus on the roster because we talked when we last talked to you before the draft, um, you were big on DeAndre Aiden. And mm -hmm. I was definitely in the Luka Doncic camp at the time. And I have to say, DeAndre Aiden, I think, may have been the right pick for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the way he's played in the preseason has been spectacular. Uh, you know, he's basically averaging 20 and 11. Uh, he's looking like Shaq. He's averaging two and a half blocks, which is not something that he showed at Arizona. What have you seen from DeAndre Aiden? Are you more, uh, are you even more bullish on DeAndre Aiden's prospects now than you were uh, before the draft and before the, uh, yeah. the Suns picked him up? So to be fair, it's only been preseason. Uh, so I've only seen summer league and preseason. Uh, but every single thing I thought I would see out of him and hope to see out of him, I've seen so far. He it, the reason he didn't get a lot of blocks at U of A is because his coach put him at power forward and put Dusan Ristich in the middle. And and the only blocks Aiden could have gotten were going to be chase down blocks on the weak side, which are ripe for fouls. And so his coach told him, don't go for those because you're going to commit fouls and we need you on the floor. Um, Aiden has shown a really, really good ability at blocking the guy who's right on him, right coming at him, uh, going vertical, not committing fouls. So I, I, I think... He's not ever. He's not going to be uh, a five blocks a game guy. He's not going to be a Clint Capella necessarily or, or DeAndre Jordan. But he's going to get two or three a game. And he's showing it in the in the preseason. And he's show it, showing it in the uh, uh, summer league as well. Um, so he's got all that. He's going to be one of the league's leading rebounders right out of the block. And he's going to be a, probably an eighteen to twenty point scorer, better than I even expected because his hands are so good. His touch is so good. He can catch on the move. He can catch the ball where it wasn't supposed to be, you know, given to him. And I think he's just going to be really, really 
Good. So, yeah, I am much more bullish on him than I was even in the draft, and I thought he was the clear number one then. My last question, uh, Dave, I want to quickly jump back on uh, Igor Kokoshkov here because a lot of times in all pro sports and even particularly in basketball, once the executive or the GM that hired the head coach is gone, pretty much the head coach becomes on the clock. Uh, We saw that with the Knicks Mm -hmm. last year with uh, Jeff Hornacek. We've seen that several other instances. Um, it sounds like Jones was was in favor of Igor, but is is there any concern? Is there any indication that Igor will be safe, considering this is kind of a rebuild, even though there's now a new man uh, in charge in terms of uh, uh, where the direction is for the team? Yeah, that's a complete unknown, right? Mm-hmm. So we have no idea. Generally, the GM that hired you, if that GM gets fired, then then you are on the clock. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, uh, Robert Sarver is very unlikely to hire a GM who has a plan in place already, who knows what coach he's going to want, who knows what players he's going to want. He's he's very likely to go with the James Jones, who was part of the whole hiring of Igor. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to James over the summer a couple of times about that, he really likes Igor. He really likes what Igor brings. So I don't see, as long as James Jones is the guy who stays in charge, I don't see Igor's um, clock running. Uh, if if Robert Sarver hires another GM from another organization, then for sure. Mm. Uh, one more question for me is: We talked about Aiden and how productive he's been the preseason. Uh, a lot of that is because Devin Booker has been out. Um, obviously, there was a lot of murkiness around the nature of his injury. But where do you think Devin Booker's timetable is at, and? Um, how do you feel like those two guys will mesh once Booker yeah. is in the lineup? So I'll just go on the record and tell you right now, I don't see Booker having any any impact on Aiton's production because Booker doesn't rebound, doesn't block shots. And uh, on the scoring on offense, Aiton has done nothing uh, to create touches with the ball. He just catches the ball at the end of a shot clock when they can't find anything else. And they do. And, and he tries to score, and he's very good. He's shooting, making 60% of his shots. So he's not a volume guy who's going to suffer with another volume guy in the lineup. The great thing about Devin Booker is that not only is Booker a really good scorer, he'll take, pre- he'll take pressure off of Aiton to have to score as uh, more often than he's comfortable, um, but also Booker is a great passer and a great lob guy in the pick-and-roll and Hayden is is a is a natural in the pick and, pick and roll. So I really think those guys are going to have a lot of highlights this year, where uh, where Booker draws the defense, then tosses a little lob to Aiden to finish. I think that's going to be really fun to watch. So no, I don't think I don't think Aiden's uh, productivity or production or numbers or anything are going to be impacted by Booker. I just, I just think that makes the team better overall. Dave King, you can catch him at Bright Side the Sun. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we got to do it again. Follow him, Dave, at Dave King NBA on Twitter. Thanks a lot so much. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Thank you. Let's now head over to baseball. Um, we're at the championship series level of the MLB postseason. I kind of thought the division series, Kendall, I think it was kind of a dud. Um, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think the I mean, Yankee series was exciting. It didn't last very long. It last only one game beyond a sweep. Uh, the middle of it was interesting. Then it got very uninteresting when it got to the Bronx. Uh, there was nothing. Interesting, I thought that I thought nothing that interesting about those. Really I mean, the Brewers won close games in the first two games. But there was nothing interesting about those Brewers or Astros series. So 
Yeah, I, I would say this was kind of. A, I don't think this was the greatest division series, but that's okay. I think that we're in line for. I think what could be an epic ALCS and NLCS. So we got the Dodgers against the Brewers. Um, the Brewers be hosting Game One on Friday night, and then of course you got on Saturday the uh, Red Sox and the defending champion Houston Astros. Kendall uh, and then the Dodgers and Brewers are playing Game Two that night as well. Kendall. Uh, what, what what are you looking at in terms of this uh, Red Sox Astros matchup? I said before the playoffs that I thought if the Astros saw this Red Sox lineup, they would be in major trouble. Um, I thought they would win the World Series again because they would face the Yankees. That is not going to happen. So I feel very nervous about that pick. But I'm gonna still stay with the Astros um, and stays true because I think that they showed in the postseason that they they're tired of being slept on. Um, Alex Bredman pretty much said that. He said, we're tired of playing these 3 o'clock games as the defending champs. Um, we are. We should be the main event. So I think they're kinda, they've been gearing up for this kind of matchup. What are, you, what are you looking forward to in this series? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like someone has to tell Mr. Bregman that, you know, sometimes it's about who you're playing, man. You know, and I mean, the Cleveland Indians, well, the Indians have also been good over the last three years. Um, you're not the the Red Sox or the Yankees, so you know had they been playing the Red Sox or the Yankees, I, I think they would have had some some prime time games. But uh, with that being said, when I look at this matchup between uh, Boston and Houston, I I think Boston certainly has the uh, advantage when it comes to like you said the lineup. Um, I think this is a team that's loaded. Uh, we saw it in the ALDS against New York that. They can put up a lot of runs uh, very quickly. And so I think a lot of this series is going to come down to uh, the pitching. Um, and something you mentioned last week about Houston uh, is something people really can't forget is that and you had Houston going to the World Series, right? You had yes, them winning it? I had them winning it all. Yeah. And something people can't forget is that, like you said last week, this is a 100-win team. You know, it's, it's, obviously we overlooked that because yeah. – Boston almost, you know, set records this season. But uh, Houston is also one of the better teams we've seen in a long time. So uh, that can't be mistaken when we see this series. If Houston does win some games, people can't lose their minds about what this means for Boston. But um, these pitching matchups are really, really interesting, especially the first two. You have Verlander uh, versus Chris Sale in game one. And you have Garrett Cole versus David Price in game two. Um, those two in particular uh, are obviously very, very crucial. Um, both teams are very confident in their guys going on game one. Uh, I don't know how, if I'm a Boston fan, I really feel about David Price right now. Um, That's, yeah. You know, it, it, he's just too, he's very, very shaky. Didn't look great uh, at all. <laughs> Against New York, um, so that that's really the question with uh, Boston going in Game Two. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Price because I I think that I think we're almost at the point where I, if I was them, I would feel like we really need to get Game One. <laughs> yeah, um, I I really do. Um, the Astros have a lineup capable of crushing left-handed pitching. David Price um, has talent. We know what he's capable of. But he's been very uneven um, 
really in his career as a Boston Red Sox. He did not look good in his first outing in the postseason. Things aren't going to get easier against this kind of uh, Astros lineup. So I think that uh, Chris Sale, who's also a lefty, so that also could make things difficult, um, is going. he's going to have to really set the table, but he's got a tough matchup against Justin Verlander. I think, again, this to me is going to be uh, – I think this series is really going to hedge on whether or not the Red Sox can get after um, the Astros' starting rotation. Because those guys are, can be dominant. They can go deep into games. If the Red Sox can find a way to get some of the guys knocked out early and then get more into the weeds of that ro- in that bullpen, then things can get very interesting. I, I, I This Red Sox team showed – very much not New York series that why I, I called them an offensive juggernaut. You know, this this lineup is seriously no joke. But like I said, I I think the problem I have with the Red Sox, the same problem I have with them with the Yankees and it didn't really rear its ugly head so much, is I just don't know if I if I quite believe in the, that they have enough starting pitching. Um Chris Sale, he passed the test in the first round. Um, he looked terrible last year, and this was a year for him to kind of redeem himself. He looked good in game one. Um, Rick Porcello uh, looked good. Nathan Avaldi had a surprisingly really great start as well. The question I have, though, is will those guys, Avaldi, Porcello, will Price show up? I, I just feel a little more confident in the Astros guys. I'm worried about that Red Sox lineup, which is why I thought that this would be a tough series that the Astros had to play them. But I'm a, I'm gonna still lean uh, Stroh. Who you got here? Um, oh, I'm definitely going with Boston. You know, I, I I'm not I don't feel great about uh, like you said a guy like David Price, but um, I the Red Sox lineup is seems a little too there's a little too much firepower, I think. Uh, for this Astros rotation, um, and a, a lot of a lot of the postseason, you're also going to need a strong. You're also going to need a strong bullpen, and I think I think Boston will be able to get at Houston's bullpen. So I, I'm gonna go with Boston. In I'm gonna say Boston in six games. Let's head over now to the uh, National League series. We got the Brewers and the Dodgers. I don't think there was really much debate that this was going to be the NLCS. I think we both were pretty confident that these would be the two teams we'd see. Um, I think that we're also going to be in for another uh, really good series. A lot of storylines. Of course, you got the, the red-hot hitting of a guy who could be the MVP, Christian Yelich. You got Clayton Could Kirk. be the MVP. What are we talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. He, he most likely <laughs> will be the MVP. Um, he continued. Uh, better be the MVP. Yeah, he continued his stellar play in the postseason. Man, it's crazy that. Jeter gave up him and Stanton in the same offseason. Yeah. We like we went crazy over the Stanton thing, but the Yellowish thing ends up turns out end up being, I think, much worse. Yeah, because <laughs> given he wasn't being paid, you know, eight hundred million dollars. And I'm sure they garnered much less for him than they got for Stanton, either they didn't much for Stanton either. Uh but we got him, we got Clayton Kershaw, who was just completely filthy in his first start. Um Oh, Clayton Kershaw pitched good in a playoff game? 
Well, what? Look, let's let's keep it one hundred though. That whole narrative, I thought he kind of put that to rest last year. He pitched well. It, look, it was the pretty NODS. Much, pretty much the entire. He pretty much pitched well the whole postseason last year. We'll see I, what I, happens when the lights really come on. We got we got to let him rock. He's not pitching on Fox Sports One. Well, look, he's gonna look. He's it's NLCS now, um, and, and we'll see what happens. But can the how are you looking at uh, this series? I think one of the things that has impressed me has been. Uh, I didn't think the Brewers would be quite as dominant with their bullpen, and but their bullpen has been so lights out. You know, Hader, Miley, uh, not Miley, I'm sorry, Hader, uh, Soria coming in. Who would have thought that Joaquin Soria, Joaquin Soria in, what 2000, in 2018 will be giving teams uh, really great innings in, in big-time spots? Uh, what do you make of, of, of this uh, of this matchup we have here? Yeah, man. Baseball is certainly the sport where you can you'll you'll look up and you'll see some guy that was like a, a like a superstar like five years ago is like still giving you production. I'm like, wait, wait, what? I mean, even the fact that Ryan Braun is still in the lineup kind of surprises me. But um, yeah, I I said uh, last week when I I picked Milwaukee to win uh, the NL that they that I got the sense that this was certainly a team that had a juice to them that it, it that I'm not sure was going to be matched by the rest of the teams in the National League. Um, I, I obviously everything on paper favors that the LA Dodgers and that can't be undersold. Um, the pitching matchups, I mean, you know, we'll probably see uh, Clayton Kershaw in Game One. You better see Clayton Kershaw in Game One. Uh, and I, I believe we'll see Gio Gonzalez probably for Milwaukee. And if that's the case, obviously the advantage goes to the L.A. Dodgers. But um, there's more. I feel like especially when it comes to postseason baseball, and I, I mean, I think I know this as a Giants fan, there's a lot more to the postseason than paper because a lot of times the teams with the momentum are the teams that end up going far in October and Milwaukee had more momentum than any team in the league right now. And that's what makes them extremely dangerous, uh, even more than Boston. And I think they're going to ride this momentum into, uh, into the world series. I think, I think they make fairly quick work of the Dodgers. I think they win the series in five. Wow. Five games. I think the one thing about the Brewers that concerns me is, I'm trying to think in recent memory because it only would be in recent memory a team that really didn't get that much from their starting pitching, but yet was able to dominate from that standpoint. Like the the Brewers are really only getting they're not getting any more than six innings from any of their starting pitching. I don't think any of them went beyond six innings, uh, or even got two six innings in one of their first three or four starts. Uh, I don't think Shasin got. In, through six innings in his start against the Cubs. So, look, their bullpen is so good. I just wonder, can they continue to ride that kind of blueprint of just give me four or five and then let me just throw you every reliever I got and we're going to piecemeal every single win. The, again, the, the Rockies couldn't, they couldn't produce any kind of runs. So, 
that may have been a bad example. We know the Cubs were a dead team on arrival by the time they faced them. The the Dodgers are a much different beast. Um, they're a much more balanced lineup. I don't know if you can just get above average or I can't say they haven't got above average. I can't excuse me. I can't say they have they've gotten above average starting pitching because I mean the pitching has been good. It just hasn't been your seven eight inning kind of start that you get from a Clayton Kershaw. Uh, the Dodgers have guys that are more capable of giving me those kind of starts. But uh, so that would be my concern. But I, I agree with you. There's something about the Brewers that just screams team of destiny. Like I said in our pre-show uh, for the postseason, I, I can't really point to why I, I think they would have the advantage beyond that. Really, um, it seems like they're the really hot team. Uh, Christian Yelich is one is is maybe the hottest hitter in baseball right now. And when you got uh, uh, Lorenzo Cain, who's who's accustomed to playing in these kind of big games, and you got a team that's playing with a lot of confidence, really the sky's the limit. So uh, I think this is going to be a very long series. I don't think this is going to be a, a piecemeal, piecework kind of deal. I think that this is a series that probably goes seven games. And I'll say the uh, the, the, the 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 excuse me the Brewers get enough starting pitching with that stellar bullpen to get by. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's this is going to be a very interesting series. It is. Um like I said, the the Dodgers have the advantage in you know, almost every aspect of the of the game. Um outside of maybe the outfield. I don't think they have uh, the advantage in the bullpen either. Yeah, yeah, you can maybe make yeah, I'd agree. I think the, the bullpen is also the area. And um so those are gonna be those are going to be crucial. Uh, obviously, like I said, with uh, Houston, bullpens in, in postseason baseball are very important. And because your starter doesn't got it, you have to make that decision quick because you can't let a guy just can't let you can't let your starter lose you the game in the postseason. You need to have guys that can come in and save a game for you or keep you in the game and. Uh, Milwaukee certainly has that. I'm not sure if the the Dodgers again. The Dodgers are a very talented team. They have guys that they can go to as well. But uh, I mean, even a guy like Kenley Jansen is struggling. So yeah, they, they don't feel nearly as great as I think Milwaukee does. Kendall, let's do our segment. Who is Flames? Who is trash? I'll go first. Kendall, Flames this week. I gotta go with the UFC. Um, now, look, I'm not going to say I condone the behavior of uh, two of its major stars and Khabib and McGregor from last week's fight. But I got to say the interest in the sport and the juice in the sport in the in the company is back. I think that there was a, a tangible conversation about what I thought may be the 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 slow decline of MMA. Not to say that it was ever going to become boxing, but. I just, it seemed like the energy around the sport that was at a crazed level maybe five years ago was completely gone. And Not even five, maybe like two or three. Yeah, maybe it was even that short. I think five, it was like crazy. But yeah, you could say even two years ago, there was a huge drop off since then. And boy, did things change after Saturday night. Um, if you did not see the fight, 
uh, Khabib uh, was able to tap out Conor McGregor in a fight that, to me, honestly, wasn't that great. But the antics around the fight, the antics after the fight, really is what I think has brought the interest into the sport. Um, after what would have been a very personal trash-talking session over the course of the promotion of this fight, when Khabib tapped out McGregor, he ran into the to the audience to then get to, get a piece of some of McGregor's team who had also been talking trash about him. Uh, it resulted in a melee uh, in what ended up being the front row of uh, of of the of the crowd. Um, some of the people in Khabib's camp jumped in the ring and tried to fight Conor McGregor. I want to repeat: I cannot say enough that I do not condone any of the actions that were done, but. Again, I think for a sport that desperately needed um, needed attention, needed life, I think that this brought extreme major attention. Uh, it wasn't in the best light, but man, I know one thing. When they do that fight again in a rematch, everyone's going to be watching that joint. And I got to say, they're, 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 they're flames for that. Yeah, that was... That was one of the crazy things I've seen live, man. I mean, I didn't watch. I wasn't. I wasn't watching the Malice in the Palace live. At least, I mean, maybe I was, but I don't, I don't remember it. But um, that was crazy. And I mean, anyone that's been that was following the the lead up to that fight knows that that was there. I mean, there was a lot of crazy stuff said um, by Conor McGregor in particular about Khabib and his camp. Obviously, we had the bus incident. Uh, a while back that kind of uh, sparked this matchup, but you never really think that this stuff will get to that level. But Khabib uh, and Mendoff is clearly some guy that takes this takes this sport very, very seriously. And Conor McGregor is not somebody that... I'm not saying he doesn't take the sport seriously, but he also takes the sport as... Uh, he takes the promotion side of the sport very seriously. And that's what he was doing in all the lead-up to that fight and could be essentially probably misunderstood that and took offense to some of the stuff uh, Connor was saying, and it uh, it escalated. Yeah. Um, with that being said, obviously I, I want to see a rematch. I'd much rather see that than uh, Pacquiao Mayweather too. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the grudge match that is Mayweather Pacquiao. But um, yeah, there's just like you said, there's. Plenty of juice now in MMA. Um, the UFC has just been rattling off now matchups that are coming up that have nothing to do with McGregor. But now I'm like, oh, I'm more in John Jones now. versus Alexander Gustafsson, or we're getting you know Daniel Luz versus Daniel Cormier and stuff. You know, Derek Luz versus Daniel Cormier. Now, you know, stuff that's like, I mean, if you would have told me this stuff two weeks ago, I don't, know, I don't care. Yeah, same like, thing. No one cares about UFC, but it's like, whoa, like I don't know. But and it shows you how it shows you the business mindset of Dana White to then start making oh, yeah. these these sourced uh, fights as soon as this joint happens. He's not yeah. a dumb man. Yeah, you know exactly. he could play the game of this was a disgrace to the sport and blah 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 blah. He was smiling as soon as he realized nobody was seriously hurt. Nobody died. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. His stars weren't arrested. Uh, once he knew that was all good, he was very pleased with what was going to be the outcome of that, which is much more attention to his company. Wolves trash, EJ. Wolves trash this week. I got to go with Odell Beckham. 
I gotta go with Odell Beckham. And look, I hate to say this. Look, if I say something bad about Odell Beckham, it might get Lil Wayne to, to diss me. I want to be very clear. Lil Wayne, I, I really loved your album, The Carter Five. I thought it was really good. It's too many songs, but for the most part, it was really good. Is this my beef with Odell has zero to do with you? I don't want to become like Frank Isola and start getting uh, threats or anything like that. I love you, Weezy F baby. Let me get to Odell Beckham now. Um, Odell is trash this week because of the entire situation regarding last week's game. Uh, this week they're getting smacked by the Eagles, and once again, uh, a no show performance by the Giants. And Last week, Odell spoke about the uh, the fact that he was tired of the team's inability to, to, to not uh, hit the deep ball. He was tired of having a, a, a team that wasn't unable to make big plays. Then, to to then after already causing controversy about Eli Manning in those comments, he then did an interview with Lil Wayne um, uh, for ESPN where he talked about the fact that he does not know if the Giants have the right quarterback. He does not know what he feels about being in New York City. And Odell Beckham is, again, a superstar talent. I cannot say that enough. Uh, I was, again, super for the Giants drafting him when a lot of people did not think the Giants should have drafted him. Uh, I think the Giants were right to give him his money. However, with that money, with that stardom, comes some level of responsibility. And I get that I enjoy, we all should enjoy when athletes are honest. I think he is trying to be as honest as possible about the situation. But nothing he said in any of these interviews were going to help the situation. He's only caused more distractions. He's only caused more controversy. And when you're not producing on the field at the level he's capable, and then you start pointing fingers, I'm sorry, I'm always going to be out. I'm always going to be out. Even when you're sitting next to, a rap legend like Lil Wayne. I'm still going to be out. Lil Tunucci. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tunchi, Weezy F. Um, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't do it. So Odell, you're gonna be trash this week. Close your mouth. Just grind, be a leader, and get galvanize the locker room. Don't try to split it up. You're better than this, and we all know it. The Giants find uh, Lil Wayne for that, or not? Probably find <laughs> Lil Wayne too. They find Odell Beckham for that Lil Wayne in, uh, interview. Uh they should have. That was ridiculous. Apparently, they, they apparently he didn't. The Giants didn't know that that was happening when it happened. Yeah, of course they didn't. I, just like I'm, I'm sure the T was didn't know Jimmy Butler was speaking to Aaron, like uh, Rachel Nichols. Yeah, yeah, they they didn't know that. Which uh, it speaks to what I think has been an issue. Previously, in the previous regime, with their ability to kind of handle Odell, uh, this now him doing this obviously has nothing to do with. That's not their fault, but I think it kind of lingers from I think the previous dream being afraid to coach him, and I think Pat Sherman so far has had in the news in the public has had the stern tone and the right mindset and attitude in how he should handle this Odell stuff. I don't know if he's bringing that same smoke when the cl- doors are closed and the cameras are off. I don't think either Coach Matthew or Shermer are guys that Odell Beckham really respects. And, I mean, sometimes that's, that's sometimes you can't earn – a coach like Pat Shermer, who, I mean, did a good job in Minnesota, did a great job in Minnesota as office coordinator, uh, 
did a very, very mediocre job in Cleveland, um, which is why he was in Minnesota as offensive coordinator. But he doesn't have the reputation to start your season one and four, one and five, and think that you're going to have the respect of your star players. If your star player is a guy that has a reputation of maybe not having the best relationship with coaches or being kind of a loudmouth. And so that's that's where the Giants are at. Had they hired, I don't know, a guy that's won a Super Bowl, had they hired Lovey Smith, maybe, maybe they, I mean, Lovey Smith hasn't won a Super Bowl, but it's been there. Maybe they would have had a better chance of reaching Odell Beckham, but obviously that wasn't their priority when they hired Pat Shermer. Maybe it was, but they miss they were misguided in that sense. But um, regardless, whatever this entire Odell Beckham thing, something people have to remember is that this is how most wide receivers that are star players are. You know, if you're a, a star receiver and you're not an expressive personality, you're you're in the minority. We see it with Pittsburgh. Uh, they've dealt with a lot of Antonio Brown baggage this season. Uh, we haven't seen it really at all, I don't think, with Julio Jones in Atlanta. And again, he's kind of a different kind of cat. Same thing with uh, A.J. Green in, in Cincinnati. But a lot of these guys are very expressive personalities, and that's, for a lot of them, what makes them special players. But, um, yeah, this kind of is what, comes with the job if you are a team that has a, a top flight receiver like that and you're not winning games. Also, I think um, in talking about Odell's comments, I find it also very alarming when a player says, I don't know how we're not throwing the ball over the top. I'm sorry, don't you have practices and meetings every single freaking day talking about your strategy? Yeah, you should know. If you don't know, know. You don't know why you can't a... throw the ball over the top and get big plays then there is something very wrong with how you, the Giants are approaching the week-to-week preparation yeah. for their game. I mean, he, he knows. I mean, Odell Beckham is – he's too smart of a football player. I would – I think he is too, he, which is why this was – this why this is trash. That's why I think this, trash, this is not productive. Know. If he says, he, he, yo, we need to improve our offensive line, we need a different quarterback, like, those would be even more divisive, but at least you'd be – Yeah, he didn't want to – At least you, to but, the line. But at least he'd be – it would be productive because at least you'd be pointing out the issues you feel are wrong with the team. When you say, I don't know why we're not doing something, when you know damn well why you're not doing something, you're just causing a situation just to cause a situation. And the team has shown they clearly don't need that. This is not a mentally strong group. It's a mentally fragile group. They've shown it the last two years. And for him to be folks who's supposed to be a leader on the team to conduct himself in this way, as why I say he was trashed this week. I gotta give it to him. What what, what are your picks, Kendall? Who's who's slaying who's trash this week? Uh yeah, I'm gonna go with a college football edition, EJ. Uh who's slains? Uh my guy Tua Tunga Vailoa. You know, obviously, uh I've been on the Tua train since before last season. Um, but Tua uh I had as my as my Heisman trophy pick for this year, and he has not disappointed at all. Uh in fact he's exceeded any expectation that I had for him at this point. Um, his numbers, uh, when you stack them against every Heisman Trophy winning quarterback over the last decade, uh, his passer rating is well above every single one of them. His, Well, let me rephrase that stat. 
his passer rating to Tango Bailoa through the first six games of the season is higher than the the first the best six games of every Heisman winning trophy quarterback over the last ten years. So if you compile Baker Mayfield, James Winston, Johnny Menzel, and all of those guys, their best six games of their careers, the passer rating for those six games combined would not be as good as what Tua Tungle-Rilo's passer rating is for these six games. Mm. So it's not even like you're cherry-picking Tua's schedule, which has, I, I would admit, has been fairly light. They haven't played a bunch uh, of... That, that would be an understatement. You haven't played a bunch of superstar teams yet. You know, I think Texas A&M's a good team. They're yeah, ranked. It's been Cupcake City so far. You know, Louisville, Power 5 team with some talent. Cupcake but City. But haven't been, haven't been some, some superstar teams yet, so I'll give them that. But at the same time, they've been throttling teams. Uh, Tua hasn't played one down in the fourth quarter this season. Um, and that's what makes it that's what makes his stats even more pronounced. They were talking about a guy that's literally playing mostly one half of football every game. And he has almost as many touchdowns as he has incompletions this season. He has 18 touchdowns and 25 incompletions and has played excellent ball. Um, Alabama's offense has been so prolific, EJ, that, you know, the new transfer rule, how you can play four games and still be eligible to transfer? Right. Well, Alabama's punter, we're six games in the season. Alabama's punter is still eligible to redshirt and transfer. (laughs) We're six games through the season. He's only played three games. That's good. That's wild. Regardless, um, Tua Tungabailoa has been amazing. Um, Right now, he looks like he will go down as the greatest college football quarterback I've ever seen. Um, And I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of great ones. Cam Newton. Vince Young. Tebow. Vince Young. I mean, I love Vince Young. He was at Texas. Uh, Manziel. Winston. All these guys. Tua is doing stuff that I've never seen, um, and he's he looks like Russell Wilson on steroids. But if I were a team, I allow the Raiders that stinks, and uh, not to not to blame Derek Carr because he's also a good quarterback. But if I were a team that that stinks and doesn't really have a franchise guy, I would be waiting for next year's draft to go out and get Tua. Um, Tua's been great. I can't say he's been the greatest quarterback I've ever seen because I haven't seen him against great competition yet. What made those other guys great was that I saw them when the presser lights were at its brightest against the toughest competition. And besides one first half, second half of a game which the team didn't prepare for him, I've not seen two under that same pressure. So I got to hold off on that. And his team is a hundred times more talented than almost every team he's facing. So uh, I've seen those other guys like Cam Newton. Uh, Tim Tebow early on do it with much less, so I can't go that far. But two has been unbelievable, no question about that. Uh, and Alabama looks like it's going to be very hard for them to find a way to lose the game this year. Who it, yeah, is- it's one of those things. Well, I was gonna say it's one of those things where it's like either because about Alabama's talent, like it's either Alabama, Alabama's quarterbacks the last like since Saban's been there have all been not that good or. Alabama's or Alabama's coordinators since Saban's been there have not been that good and they have a great one now, whoever it is, I believe Billy Napier. Or um Tua is amazing. 
right now, I think you're probably leaning the quarterback that they've had have not been very good. Yeah, then they and so the offense just looks really good because they have a really good quarterback. Yeah, this is the first time we've really seen Alabama when they got a top-notch quarterback. They've gone all these years with game managers. The best quarterback they've had is A.J. McCarron. And this is the first time it's like, what happens if Tua got one of these, if, like, excuse me, Saban got one of these dudes that normally goes to USC or Stanford or one of these other uh, passing Big schools school. in Ohio State or in Oklahoma or Texas. What happens if Saban gets one of those guys? We're seeing what happens. He's he's like it's like Thanos with the whole Infinity Gauntlet. He snaps his fingers and half a college football shouldn't it basically doesn't need to exist because they can't even uh they can't even compete against Alabama's second unit uh with a guy to a uh under center. Kendall, who's trash? Who's trash, EJ? I said I was doing a uh, college football segment and this week EJ, the trash is uh nearly every big college football uh, coaching hire that was made this offseason because uh, you look at um, I think probably the most high profile hire uh, outside of Jimbo Fisher at going to Texas A&M which I mean I think he's done a, as well of a job as he can do he's two losses or two two top five teams in Alabama and Clemson but uh, I, look, I think the most high profile hire outside of that was Scott Frost going to Nebraska and Nebraska is uh, 0 and 5, and um, the other one was probably Chip Kelly going to UCLA. UCLA is also uh, winless this season. And e- EJ, the other huge hire that was made this off season, uh, Florida State going out and getting uh, Willie Taggart from Oregon uh, to replace Jimbo Fisher. Well, Willie Taggart, uh, I feel like we've talked about Willie Taggart on the show, so I don't really need to go into what's happened. They're 3-3. Three and three. They blew a 20-something point lead to Miami uh, at home. Were they at home? Yeah. Uh, no, they were on the road. They are on the road? All right. Even worse. <laughs> but regardless, on the road against Miami, uh, blew a blew a 20-point lead against your rival on national television. Um in very inexplicable fashion, but uh, all three of these guys are just a complete mess. Uh, I'll give Dan Mullen his credit at Florida. They had a big win this week against LSU, but those three three guys in particular have been trained with, oh, can't forget about Kevin Sumlin as well at Arizona, who has also been a debacle and is clearly the one guy we always talk about you know, who's the one guy that could stop Michael Jordan is Dean Smith. Well, clearly, Kevin Sumlin is the one guy that can contain <laughs> Khalil Tate. Tate yeah. <laughs> um, but these four these four gentlemen have all been complete train wrecks. Uh, Scott Frost seemed like the perfect fit in Nebraska. Um, Chip Kelly seemed like uh, a dream hire for UCLA for what they could get. And these just all these guys have just been awful. And a lot of the low-profile hires, like I said, Dan Mullen, uh, Herm Edwards has done a decent job at Arizona State, Josh Heupel at UCF replacing Scott Frost. I mean, it's – I mean, right now, I'll give credit to the UCF program. You know, we talked about it's early. They're undefeated now. They could slip up any week. could be this week against Memphis. But we talk about – 
you know, how great of a coach Scott Frost was last year and he got the Nebraska job. Dude hasn't won a game since he left UCF. <laughs> and UCF is still hasn't lost a game since Scott Frost left the program. Mm. So I don't know. Uh, who needed who there in that Yeah, case. I don't know who needed who more. But um, certainly got to give credit to all those coaches at that program that have kept that program attack, exactly. intact. And they'll probably end up being in a Power 5 conference in the near future. Yeah, I think that this is maybe a lesson to... Actually, I, I I'll say this. I, even beyond this being a lesson this year, I think it's kind of a lesson in general. That, like, those teams hiring those big-name, quote-unquote, big-name coaches, really think about if your coach you're getting is really a big-name. Because... It seems like the teams who do these hires from guys who were good in a small school and hope that he takes that success to a big school like a Scott Frost or a guy who failed at big schools or failed at a certain level and didn't want to try to hope that they could muster up some of the previous success they've previously had to this next school they're at. It doesn't happen quite as often as maybe we think. I think that, you know, if that was the case, teams like Tennessee and Florida would be fine. Because <laughs> they've they've been doing that thing for the last four or five years, or more than that, maybe a decade, really, uh, of trying to find the coach, next coach, and not being able to get that quote unquote big fish to come to their school and settling for someone else and not working out. Notre Dame can speak to that success of trying to get that big fish and settling for a plan C or D, and then coming up very short. There's a very few number of guys that I think. Um, can step on your program, step into your program, and just change life for you in day one. And I think these programs are learning very quickly that it's going to take time with any of these guys and that we can't just pencil in uh, Kevin Sumlin and just think that, oh, now we're winning 10 games next year. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Ken, let's do a quick rapid, rapid lightning round NFL and college football picks this week. Chiefs at Patriots, Chiefs undefeated. Well, of course, Pat's defending AFC champs and AFC dynasty. Uh, who do you have in this game? Uh, I think the Chiefs are uh, for real. I've said this now every time we've talked about them, and I don't think that changes. I got the Chiefs in this one. Patriots seem to always come up, play up for these big games, I like to make statements. I think they make a statement this week, and they cool off Mahomes. We kind of had his first not bad game last week, but uh, he was not as sharp as he's been. In, he looked human. Yeah, he looked human. And look, that Jaguar defense makes everyone look human. They look, made Brady look very human. But I, I think that the Pats have something for the Chiefs this week. I think they went at home and get the Chiefs their first loss. Jags at Cowboys, Kendall. Um, who you got in this one? Jags coming off a really bad loss to the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, EJ. What was funny was I saw like a headline. Because um, remember, we talked about Blake Borough looking great, you know, last week. Or not last week, yeah, but a couple weeks, weeks ago. Yeah. We yeah, we talked about him looking great, and then I saw a headline this week. It was like, you know, Blake Bortles like cost something about Blake Bortles looking awful. Was he was like, terrible last week. Yeah, I was like, isn't this so Blake Bortles? You know, we right. talked about at the time. I was like, look, he's gonna look awful at times this season. Yeah. You know, don't, he's not a different player than he was last year. He just had a good game. It happens, but you don't lose your mind when Blake Bortles has a great game because he's also gonna have awful games, um, and that's what happened. Uh, Jacksonville's gonna have to live with that. Jacksonville right now is just screwed up with 
just injuries in the backfield. Yeah. I mean, they went out and they hired, they signed Jamal Charles. Yeah, Jamal well, Charles, who I thought was I didn't retired. know he was alive. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I'm glad he I is. He was retired. I was like, I forgot he was a person, let alone an NFL player. Yeah, I'm like, yo, is he even on Madden? Or do they have to recreate him? <laughs> but wait for, that, wait for that roster roster update to come out. Yeah, I can't wait to be able to play with Jamal Charles again. It's been years. But, um, because, I mean, Leonard Fournette, who, again, has screwed me over in my fantasy league, uh, still is out. And TJ Yeldon's banged up. And Ryan Grant is now out. So they they had to go out go out and get Jamal Charles. Um, short, long story short, though, I have the Jaguars. Uh, why? Why? You, you mentioned a lot of reasons why the Jaguars are in a little bit of trouble right now. And then you picked them. Uh, no, I mean, the Cowboys aren't a good team. So, they—they, right. uh, they, you know, they—they—they they, they still haven't found real receivers uh, to replace Des Bryant. There are a lot of a lot of things wrong with Dallas. I'm gonna go with Jacksonville. Jacksonville usually likes the big fight. I was a little surprised they were so unprepared for the fight last week. But I think I think Bortles, Bortles, I think kind of sucked the life out of the team. He was so terrible that I think that they they kind of knew they had no chance once they saw how he was gonna play. Uh, I, they're going to like the big fight this week. I know the Cowboys kind of stink, but it's still early enough in the season where some people think that maybe they could maybe be decent, and the East is so terrible that this looks like it could be a nine-win division. That's how bad all four of these teams uh, look right now. So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Jaguars. I'm going to say that they play up for the big moment playing in Jerry World, a 4 o'clock game. A lot of people should be watching. Um, the Cowboys... Ezekiel Elliott has been great this year, but I fully expect uh, the Jaguars to hone in on the running game. And the question becomes, do I think that Dak Prescott's going to be able to uh, effectively throw against that secondary? The answer to that, hell no. I'm going Jaguars. Let's move on now. Uh, it's a game that I think is a little under the radar, but I think it's a game that has some value. Uh, Bears at Dolphins. The Dolphins surprisingly started 3-0. And after getting shellacked by the Patriots a couple of weeks ago, they uh, completely fell apart in the second half of last week's game against the Bengals, who were actually surprisingly having a really good year. Uh, and the Bears are 3-1. and one. Bears might have the best defense in the NFL. So J- Dolphins trying to maybe get themselves right back on the right track. Bears trying to make sure and continue to show that they're not a fluke. Who do you got in this one, Ken- Kendall? Uh, yeah, the Bears... Uh... The, the Bears um, having the best defense in the NFL. I, I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, Khalil Mack. Yes, you know, only. To do if he get... It has only to do with Khalil Mack. Let alone, is yeah, anything to do. It's only to do with him. Yeah, largely. Um, no, yeah, I think Khalil Mack will make Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he'll, he's going to steal Ryan Tannehill's lunch money this week, fairly frequently, and I think the Bears will win this one. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going the Bears as well on the road. Um, again, this the monsters of the. I'm almost. I'm not gonna say it yet. I don't want to say it yet because that's a hard thing to say. That the monsters of the midway are back. Whenever you say that, you got to be serious and you can't say those words lightly. I'm gonna hold off just a little bit to see a little bit more. But you say that as if anybody, if the Bears have any real history, man. What do you mean that the Bears any Bears, history? Bears are, are, are a lame franchise. See, that's spoken that from, good in like that's spoken from a disrespectful, a disrespectful Vikings fan for no reason at all that was uncalled for. 
You stuck in 1945. What do you mean? Oh, back when they had games. First of all, years, first of all, the, the first of all, the Bears have won a Super Bowl more recently than than the Vikings. The Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. They've been in the Super Bowl more recently than the Vikings. The Vikings have never been to the Super Bowl. The last time the Bears were in the playoffs. That's all that matters. Uh, that's not all that matters. The matter is who has the Lombardi, and at least the Bears have one. They have in their trophy case. You guys have zero. Uh, so I don't know. He, Ken, forget Kenlo. He's talking reckless. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, look, I'm not gonna go as far as say the Bears monster the midway back, but man, when you got Cleo Mack, you got Roquan Smith. Um, this is a, this is a, a, a just a hellacious defense, and I love the way they're playing right now. Um, Eddie Jackson in the secondary, he's had a, a great season so far playing safety. It's it's just it's, it's it's a really solid team defensively. The question is, we still don't know quite what they are offensively. Trubisky's been really good. Um, he's not putting up huge numbers, but he's not turning them all over. He's being very efficient. That's really all they need right now. Uh, the question is, can they keep it up? I think they do for this week. Um, who do you got this? Who you got though? Bears. You got Bears. So we both got yeah. Bears this one. Um. Two college games quickly, Kendall. Georgia at LSU. Georgia's still undefeated. LSU coming off a tough loss to Florida. Who you got? Uh, Georgia. Georgia is a, uh, you know, LSU again. You said, like you said, tough loss to Florida, man. Um, I think that pretty much wiped away any chance they had at the playoffs. I mean, didn't wipe it away because they still have Georgia and Alabama on yeah, the Yeah, I mean, they could but win these next two games and <laughs> they'll be back in the They'll, they'll be a top three team in the country. Yeah. Top two team in the country, probably. But the odds of that ever happening are very slim impossible but <laughs> so i'm saying georgia wins this one uh fairly easily and georgia continues on their path to uh atlanta where they will see alabama i'm gonna go upset city here i'm gonna say the tigers went at home uh man death valley is just unpredictable and everything screams oh georgia their high-powered offense they should be able to 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 even go into this kind of environment and win. But I think LSU maybe got caught looking ahead a little bit. I don't know how they lost to Florida. I mean, I know how, but I I still don't believe in Florida. Maybe I'm just being a, a, a salty Canes fan, but I still don't believe in their offense or their passing attack at all. But they made enough plays, and they made some huge plays defensively to beat LSU last week. LSU... While they're a very good team, they don't have a large margin for error. And this that was their first game, I thought, where they played extremely sloppy. Um, I think they'll be much more clean this week. I think they pull off the upset, a huge upset, I think, if they beat Georgia. I got them winning this one. Wisconsin at Michigan, nightcap, 730 on ABC. Who you got at the big house? Yes, I mean, this is a very, this is a very, very good game. Um, I'm going to stick with Michigan only because I'm going to uh, – only because I had them in the playoffs before the year. And, they got to win. Uh, gonna yeah, they kind of have to win if, they, if they're going to make it. My guy Shea Patterson still in the Heisman Trophy race. In uh, spirit. <laughs> I'm going to stay with Michigan, too. I'm The home team is going to be the theme of this college football uh, pick selection. I, I, yeah, I, I just think that Michigan home crowd, I mean, they kind of know what's at stake. They need this to, to remain in the race. In the Big Ten, they have one loss already, but that was uh, non-conference. They could still very much be in the play for the playoff if they win. Um, Wisconsin, I don't know. They had just they haven't they haven't impressed me as much as I 
thought they would this year. Uh, I think they. Uh, I think I said before the year Wisconsin was kind of whack. Yeah, you said that, and I thought that you were kind of crazy when you said that, honestly. And you're looking more and more right <laughs> every week. I watch them play, and I'm like, this is not the team that was like mauling people last year. Um, you see them struggle against BYU. You see them kind of play around with Iowa a couple weeks ago. They they pound Nebraska. Nebraska's like they're like a they're like a Division One AA team at this point. I don't know. I, I just something about Wisconsin's off this year, so I got Michigan at home. Let's do Kendall's court, Kendall. What we got this week? Yeah, EJ, I'm gonna give you guys a, a quick uh, catch up on what's happened with this uh, FBI uh, college basketball scandal. Um, it, it's some wild stuff. Uh, Brian Bowen, uh, obviously the guy that you know went to Louisville. Got paid $100,000 by, I guess, Adidas. Um, well, his dad testified under oath about some of the stuff that was happening uh, or some of the stuff that happened while Brian Bowen was a recruit. And he went into detail on how Bowen was offered, uh, he was offered, obviously, $100,000 by Louisville, but he was also offered, I believe, one, I want to say it was $150,000 by Oklahoma State. Um, he was offered free housing by Texas. Uh, not free housing. I think he said money for housing by Texas. Uh, he was offered uh, a, a very, very lucrative job by Creighton. Um, and that he was offered an astronomical amount by Oregon. So, uh, the fact that, and this also can't forget about the fact that he was also offered, um, $15,000 to play for his AAU team. And he was offered to, or to play for, to have his son play for the AAU team. And he was offered $2,000 a month by the school that his son played for in high school by the coach of his his son's high school team. So this guy made, I'm not going to do the math. I'm, I, I, this is assuming he didn't take all these, he, he took all these offers, but he had the potential to make a heck of a lot of money off of his son that was not even a, a surefire one-and-done prospect. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did not love Brian Bowen in high school. I was like, hey, he's all right. He's a decent guy, decent prospect. Be a good three-year college player, probably – end up, you know, being a all Big East or all ACC, whatever conference Louisville's in now. <laughs> all, all ACC Sounds players. Sounds like ruined everybody, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking of three different conferences. Like, AAC or ACC. <laughs> um, but uh, the fact that this guy was getting that kind of money, and then we hear DeAndre Ayton, how Adidas offered him, apparently, or at least an Adidas rep offered a friend of his $15,000 just to start a relationship with him. And then he ends up obviously going to Arizona for whatever. The report is still $100,000. That hasn't been substantiated at all. But $100,000 to go to Arizona. And then he ends up signing with Puma, which for me is, uh, I want to give that guy a round of applause for playing the system more than the system played him. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a, a top-notch finesse. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, we always assume that these guys are just going to, they're getting money from one shoe company and that they're going to play for that shoe company's college and then they're going to sign with that shoe company in, in the NBA. But to but, be fair, I think that we've seen that these guys are a little more savvy than maybe we expected. I think the Cam Newton example is the one that rings yes. strong to me. The whole we gave Cam's dad mad bread talking about Mississippi State. And somehow he ended up at Auburn. And like, well, look, it sounds like you were a sucker. I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> That's tell you all I thing. see. It's like you got played, fam. I, EJ, I, and I, I joked to you. I've joked to you a lot over the last two months about, like, in recruiting, one of the most frustrating things really in all of sports and college sports is when guys in recruiting talk about, oh, yeah, my top 12 schools are coming out. Or my top eight schools are coming out next week. And it's like an announcement for an announcement for an announcement. And it's ridiculous, especially when you're not even, like, the number one player in the country. You're, like, a four-star. You're talking about your top ten schools. I don't care, man. But regardless, and for me, there's a significance in that the number one player in the country is is James Wiseman in college basketball. Kid from Memphis. Most people think he's either going to go to Memphis or Kentucky. Well, for the longest time, he's been putting out a top eight list, a top five now this week, that also includes – uh, Texas, Vanderbilt, and Kansas. And not Texas, I believe North Carolina, whatever school. Regardless, it's three schools that he's not going to go to. And no, Florida State, Vanderbilt, and Kansas. And the relevance is that everyone knows he's either going to Kentucky or, or Memphis. And people kind of laugh at the fact that he has a top five. Well, when you hear this kind of stuff about each school is offering this and each shoe company is yeah, offering this, makes a lot more sense you kind of wonder. These guys are trying to keep their pockets lined. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get their pockets lined. They're like, look, if I say I'm going, I'm cutting my list down to two schools, well, that booster from Vanderbilt isn't going to continue to offer you cars and money because he knows he's not going, you're not going to Vanderbilt. Or if that booster from Kansas or that Adidas rep that is hoping that you go to Kansas finds out that they're not on your list anymore, they're going to stop calling you. They're going to say it's a waste of time. I'll tell you what, Kendall. Now it makes a lot of sense why these NBA players are so good at convincing teams that they're thinking about the Knicks so they can get more bread. They've been finessing people since high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we see them do this every year. Then Oh, look, I might go to the Knicks. <laughs> I might go to the Knicks if you come get me. And then, of course, if you end up realizing it's a ruse almost every single time, well, they've been trained since they were teenagers, it sounds like, in this game. If all these allegations of court are true and they are still allegations. It's all starting to make a lot more sense. It's all making making it all seems a lot more also, clear why these kind of recruiting situations end up the way they do. And the joking matter with the is the Knicks, but I think you make good points about if these guys are getting so much money from so many other places, why would you just start eliminating schools immediately, even if you know you're not going there when they could just be giving you bread just to consider them? Also, EJ, it was it was Big Ten Media Day, college basketball. Well. Will likely be at American Conference Media Day next week. Yeah, uh, but um, and Tom Izzo was talking about the whole Michigan State scandal. Why was he uh, talking about that? Was he asked? I hope. That's well, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, because I'm like, why would you want? to I'm kind of glad he said something. At least not like I'm not going to answer that. Right. That's you true. know, Sean Miller was, was at Pac-12 Media Day. He's like, I'm not answering any questions on the investigation. Which, I mean, it is an FBI investigation, so he does have that defense. But regardless. Um, he, uh, 
he was asked about the situation. He said that these situations now will be handled, all allegation situations will be handled very differently after that case was unfolded. And said uh, everybody will do stuff different now. Every kid is going to be suspended now in allegations, I think. Uh, and that seems good unless it's your kid. And if it's your kid, you're going to look at it differently. Blah, 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 blah. My point is, like, I don't like this fake hustle from Tom Hizzo that he now he feels like now we got to do things differently. When, I mean, he's had, these guys been a coach for how long? Almost and two this feels like I got my, my hands caught in the cookie jar. Now I got to change the way I run my program. And that, 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 I don't know. I feel like that's weak sauce, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like... It's probably the only thing he could say. Yeah. But, and it probably just goes back to, I mean, he, he screwed up in the first place. But, I don't know. There, I mean, look, a day is reckoning in college basketball. Um, I don't know when it's happening. I thought maybe it was more imminent than maybe it seems. Uh... But regardless, it's happening. I think some of these coaches, uh, Izzo in those comments and other guys, are kind of starting to see that. Right now, the only thing for them to do would be to just drop the iron hammer on these uh, – drop not iron hammer, Jesus. The iron fist on these guys until – or rule an iron fist until they're able to just pay these guys out of pocket without it being illegal. Otherwise, you, you could be caught up in some – you could be going to jail for decades with the way they're – the FBI doesn't seem to be playing around with this anymore. Now Izzo though I'm I'm saying he's talking about the the Larry Nasser scandal. Oh okay, I got confused. Um, right, and that's I thought, why that's first, I thought that I was like you first way. talking about, but then I thought then kind of way the conversation went. I thought you were going somewhere else. Oh yeah, no, I, I didn't like the way he he answered that question because it seems like I don't know that yeah. now he's got a oh, whole different yeah, now that, yeah, that makes like now sense. I have a whole different look on life, and now we got to change the way. We run our whole program. And it's like, what did that that investigation tell you? That now you feel like I've got. It, did it tell you? Oh, the administrators are going to be paying more attention, or the media is going to oh, be paying yeah, more yeah, attention. Nah. Yeah, I tried to be a little more respectful for, to Izzo than maybe I deserve to be. Um, now I'll say what I was going to initially say is that Izzo, I think, has already kind of been proven to be fake hustle for a while now. Well, not a while <laughs> now, but at least recently. So that's not surprising. Um, as far as the FBI, so I thought that was more appropriate answer if he said it like that. Talking about the abuse of women, um, no, he's he's his record is not very good on that. So him now trying to quote unquote see the light is not going to be a good look. But again, he he's been fake hustle on this issue for a while. All we can hope is that he is better because it could help save people uh, from being abused. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> to wrap that up. Yeah, I agree that that was weak sauce of him. But I don't know. I just, I don't know. I guess what what frustrates me in those situations is the lack of accountability. The idea that he's kind of uh, saying that the times are why things are different now, and not the fact that he screwed up. Because had he done the right thing in the first place in reacting to these situations, him and Mark D'Antonio, the head coach of yeah, I mean, they team. asked him. They asked him during the season. He was like, "I no comment." Right. If he had he done the right thing the first time, there wouldn't be an issue in terms of how he handled domestic violence. This reminds me of the Urban Meyer doing. Right. Exactly. It all, all these guys, in every scenario, it's always about okay. Let me 
try to get away from this by doing the least amount as possible and hope that nothing happens. And then once it does, you just say, oh, well, I guess I'll just try to do better next time. Like, that's that's their MO. The, the whole thing is just about winning at all costs and trying to uh, mitigate whatever could get in the way of winning. That includes, yeah. like, your players getting in serious situations or coaches getting in serious situations that that require more action from you. That they don't care. If they if that mitigates winning, they will do the bare minimum to ensure that winning isn't affected. Now they're saying the times are why things are different, but I would say that that is weak sauce because the times shouldn't have changed anything. You should have automatically been dropping the hammer on people who are beating women um, that are part of your staff or part of your team. You should that should that shouldn't be a question. And the fact that now he's saying it's the times that that's whack. That's whack. If I heard that, now, he would have been tr- my trash person of the week this week. Now, I will give Tom Mizzle credit, not for those comments at all, but on the Brian Bowen thing, Brian Bowen, I want to say that the agent that was paying him said that Michigan State was one of the few schools that would not pay. Brian Bowen's from Michigan, and Michigan State was one of the few schools that would not pay a dime for Brian Bowen. So... Take that for what it's worth. Izzo may not have the best program from a PR standpoint, given what we know has transpired in Michigan State over the last decade. But um, it may be clean in the sense that they don't break other rules. Also could be why they didn't get Josh Jackson, who also was very much uh, reportedly yeah, they lost out on a, they lost out on a couple of big guys that they thought. Yeah, they really had to that Michigan on. area, that Midwest area. I mean, you would think. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Swanigan was supposed to go to Michigan State. That fell through. Yeah, Monty Morris was supposed to go there. Yes, there's a lot of guys, and it's all every time it was kind of like, how did this go this way? And no one seems to have. Izzo doesn't say anything. No one seems to really have the answer. Which makes me think that someone definitely has the answer. So that no one has an explanation means someone does. It's just we're not gonna know it. So FBI that, knows it at this point. Yeah, FBI knows everything. <laughs> um, I think that's a place to wrap. The good place to wrap the show, Kendall. So thank you guys so much for listening in to this episode of New Generation Sports Talk podcast. Next week, NBA season preview. Um, we're not sure when it's going to be. I know it's kind of brushed up close to the NBA season. It may happen in the first week of the season, but it will be up next week. So, of course, you love us talking about hoops. This is going to be the podcast you want to listen to, so check that out next week. Um, be sure to check out all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Uh, make sure you follow us on YouTube, New Generation Media. We did a bunch of Comic-Con coverage last weekend, so if you're into Comic-Con or into superheroes, there's plenty of stuff that's been going up all week. There's more stuff still to come. So uh, keep your uh, keep your eyes locked on New Generation Media on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod and on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram at Action EJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more sports talk. Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace. Oh, and shout out to Dave King jumping on the show as well. We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk to you guys later.